Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of My Life is a Montage. It's the show where we talk about music and how it fits into our lives. My name is Keith Campbell. I'm joined, as ever, by Ian Shea Care. Ian, how are you today? I am doing excellently. Long time no talk. Yeah, it's been, it's been a bit. Um, <laughs> so, so, Ian, what, what have you brought to the people today? So, uh, in our last episode, uh, we talked about the song Freedom, 90. By George Michael. Yeah. So today, uh, so today uh, we are going to talk about the song Freedom, No Number, by Rage Against the Machine. Right. So this was released August 23rd, 1994, as a single. It's the fourth single off of Rage's self-titled uh, major label debut, um, which came out in 1992. Uh, it's the last track on the album, which is significant because it was also their set closer in those early days. Mm-hmm. Um, I was actually kind of surprised listening to it that it ever saw the light of a day as a single because it's like five different songs. Um, yep. It's, it, it, it's a mover. But then again, if anybody's ever seen the 1991 um, Cal State Northridge uh, performance video, uh, they were fully formed uh, from their first gigs and this was what they would use to close down the, the set. This is probably better known less as a like radio single. Um, of course, you know, this is the album that had Killing in the Name, Bomb Track, Know Your Enemy, oh, riffs galore. Um, yeah. But the music video that they pulled together for it um, focused a lot on um, the unjust imprisonment of Leonard Peltier. Yep. Um, folks, there's a reenactment of what happened in Pine Ridge the day that um, Peltier ended up being arrested and tried for. Um, and according to the um, broadcast and cable top 50 charts, this was the top video of, 19, of January 1994. That's not surprising to me because by then they had, uh, by then the, the bona fides from the first few singles had been there. And I True. Think- yeah, you knew what you were. I mean, especially, uh, especially from you know with Morello and Delarocha, you knew what you were getting. Yeah. So if it came out, you knew you were getting something that was just going to rip. It was just going to rip your head off. Mm. <laughs> <clears throat> so, I, oh, go ahead. No, no, no go ahead. Uh, you know, so one of the things about I, I, I think I mentioned this once previously. But my absolute favorite, uh, or one of my two favorite uh, interviews that I ever did when I was a when I was a working paid journalist uh, as a music critic for a couple of years uh, was Tom Morello, mm. and it was and it was before uh, it was before uh, Battle of Los a- Battle of Los Angeles came out. Okay, and and the two of us ended up spending the entire time. Uh, I barely asked him about music. Uh, right. I, I barely asked him about the album, and we ended up talking about, uh, and we ended up talking about an op-ed that Noam Chomsky had written. Okay. Uh, just the the couple of weeks before, and if you've ever heard Morello on uh, Sirius XM, he has a bunch of shows now. He's yeah. on Lithium all the time with his One Man Revolution show with his mom. Uh, but if you've ever heard him talk, uh you know that the messages from rage against the machine are 
not performative, that yeah, they, absolutely that not. they are heartfelt, that that is what they believe. And they're, you know, through Morello's music and the, the, the angst and the power that comes through with it and those crazy riffs that he comes up with. And then you get Zach De La Rocha's, you know, I mean, it's, he's like a slam, you know, he's like a mixed race slam poet. Uh, who loves who loves quasi rapping over you know heavy metal riffs and so hmm. um, listening to the two of them and and getting a chance to talk to Morello uh, it'll relate I'll circle this back when yeah. we actually talk about where it fits in my montage um, but it brought me to a new level of understanding of the band mm-hmm. that uh, really opened my eyes and actually made me go back and listen to the previous albums a lot. So just leave that out there for now. Yeah. I mean, I, I mentioned the band was kind of fully formed. Um, <laughs> yeah. They got that way by, you know, at least in Morello's case on the, on the tone aspect by a little bit of um, kind of luck and happenstance. Um, you know, you know, the story of, of Tom's famous arm, the homeless mm-hmm. guitar. Right. Yeah. So yeah. he was playing in before rage. He was playing in hair metal bands around California. Got to the point where he decided he needed a sick custom ax. Went to, <laughs> yeah. Went to a music store. Was looking to get something, you know, that would have fit in with like the super strats of the day. Like, you know, mm-hmm. anything Helen's Frankenstrat and that sort of thing. Gets the guitar brings it home. It's the worst sounding thing he's ever heard. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I love when he tells the story too. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> and so he ends up just like, no, I'm, I, I got this made. I'm going to fix it. And he yeah. goes like, cause for, for whatever reason, like for a custom guitar, this was clearly like some guitar tech at the back of a music shop that was way in over their head. Um, yeah. had never like cut their own neck before and it was just an, an unplayable abomination so he like went into the used rack got like some throwaway neck and threw that together or threw like some pickups on it and like he just could not get what he was looking for and finally it was just like i give up what i sound like is what i sound like and what he sounds like is one of like the most distinctive guitarists mm. in the world. I mean, whether he's playing for rage, whether he's playing for audio slave, whether he's guesting on a tour for the East street band, like yeah. he's ta- he's, you know, you, you know, from two notes. Yeah. He plays that. And you know, you watch him play and he holds it. He holds it high and he plays, he plays with that shorthand, the yeah. shorthand movement. I mean, he he doesn't look like any other guitar player. Yeah, you're absolutely right. He looks like no other guitar player on earth when he plays, mm. and that is part of what makes his sound just so. Uh, so I mean, it's it's mesmerizing sometimes watching what you know his his riffs and his uh, and his solos are just. I mean, how the, you know, a lot of times you're like. How the fuck did that sound come out of that thing? You know, but, and I love yeah, it. So, as as somebody who you know can scratch his hands across a guitar every now and again, I have watched <laughs> a few interviews uh, with him on the topic, um, and you know he's kind of meticulously selected like 
the probably the the sound that you most know him for is like that high squealy like scratch sound, mm-hmm. which is the product of a very specific year of Digitech whammy pedal. They don't make the same way anymore. Um, but yeah, again, it's you know art of necessity. These are the things that he had in his toolbox, mm-hmm. and you know he came out with you know other than like maybe one or two nuances to to the way things were played you know on the recordings like that 1991 video is how they have sounded right uh, for 30 years yeah uh, and that that's the amazing part of it is that you know you hear uh i mean the last big show that they played that they played together was what eight years ago eight nine years ago now yeah. uh or it might even be 10 now. It was the free show that they played in, in England where they promised if a certain number of people did a certain amount of things that they would play a free show. It was, it was and, getting them on the, on the holiday. Uh, oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Get them. I, I, I love the British the, holiday charts for that exact reason. <laughs> yeah. Make us, make us top for the British holiday charts. Uh, and it was like to knock off some boy band or something like that. Yeah. And, and uh, so they ended up doing it. And so they said, we'll play for free. Uh, and, and they basically, I mean, I know the story of that show is they just said, donate what you can. And they donated all the money. To, they basically donated all the money to charity. Right. And if you see the, and if you watch the video of that performance, I mean, that's 65,000 people in a park. And yeah. it was, I, I mean, it's an outstanding show. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of along the same blueprint of like blur at, at, in the same place after the Olympics. I, yeah, at Hyde Park. Oh yeah. God, that's uh, don't get me going on that show. I love that show. I still listen to it every once in a while. But we, uh, we, we, the, we can talk. We can talk about Blur another time. All right, we'll do Blur another time. All right. Do they have a song called Freedom? Um, no, they don't. No, they don't. But so one of the things about Freedom that I wanted to mention was uh, it is, and you don't always hear it. You have to actually turn it up. No, yes. is the break between you know what I'm talking about when, when it goes silent before one of the big, before one of the big dance points, the jump, yeah. the jump around and mosh point uh, where you hear Zach quietly say, anger is the gift. And yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it, unless you're listening to it loudly enough, you don't hear anger. Right. Is the gift. Um, and so that has become one of my best friends in the world. That is his motto for like life is angry as a gift. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, you sure you want to make that your life's motto? He's like, fuck yeah. Anger is a gift. I love it. All right. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But as you mentioned early on, you know, they played that song. Uh, they played that song in regular rotation on K-Rock out in LA. Yeah. Uh, and anyone who doesn't know it, K-Rock alternative station broke a ton of bands uh, they're a seminal radio station in the country. Yeah, they, basically, now, if they were big in the early to mid '90s, they played on K Rock first. First, yeah. I mean, and that's everyone from like Duran Duran and Thompson Twins to Rage and up to Panic at the Disco and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, they played Freedom regularly, and yeah. you know the funny thing about Freedom is it doesn't have as much cursing as some of the other songs no and it does so, not and so it got played full way through with only i think there's probably only two or three cuts in it whereas killing in the name which was the first track that rage really became known for you yes. know 
it, it had the radio <laughs> edit, which basically cut out two minutes of fuck you. I won't do what you tell me. Right. You know, there right. at the end, which is one of the best parts of the song. And so with freedom, you actually got to hear one of these rage songs from that first album in its entirety, in its yeah. kind of operatic, you know, entirety. And I think that might've been one of the things that made it, uh, extra special to, to some folks. And it's funny. Cause it's got the same build at the end as, yep. Killing in the name, only except only instead of "fuck you" and "won't do what you tell tell me," it's freedom. Yeah, right. And, and it starts scream. Well, the thing the, the what what hit me when I revisited because I came to rage um, in the West Milford High School football locker room, um, and there were only a few songs off that album that that we that we could have right. played without the coaches busting and going, "Okay, that's enough. Yeah, change it." <laughs> um, so that was where I learned about Rage. That was where I learned about um, Pantera. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, a, a lot of metal and a decent amount of early '90s hip hop. Um, yeah. But I hadn't like, you know, not until later on when I could, you know, get my own copy of it that I was able to listen through to it, and I, I would have. N- not regularly listen to freedom, just listening to the album in rotation. Right. And what struck me about that build is it starts out with almost like a whisper wailed freedom mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. up to the Zach De La Rocha gigantic scream. <laughs> I'm like, it had to hurt. Yeah. I mean, that scream at the end, that just <laughs> guttural. I mean, it's like it. it oh, yeah. oh, God! It just rips right through you. Ah, oh, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's funny because I, I obviously, uh, yeah, I'll just mention it now. I was one of the to me one of the saddest things about the pandemic and 2020 was that uh, I mean they're going to do it next year instead yeah. for the midterms, but Rage was going to play and is going to play in El Paso. And was going to play mm. after, and that tour, the tour that they're going to play next year, was built out of uh, out of the El Paso mass shooting, and right. they were going to play three shows in Arizona and Texas, uh, and all the money was going to go to uh, to either charities for the families of those lost in the El Paso shootings, mm-hmm. or to refugee organizations uh, for those at the border. Um, they're still going to do those, but it just really, I, I, I would have given anything to, to see rage play in El Paso in the heart of the 2020 election. Goodness. <laughs> well, is it Cruz that's up or is it? Yeah. Cause Corin was up last. Cruz is up. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I could. Oh, they're going to Texas. They're, they're going to play in El Paso, uh, but now, now that they're now that they're headlining uh, some as Lollapalooza, Glastonbury, I don't know. They're doing a bunch of those now, right? But they're they're going to do uh, next year. They're going to be on the road pretty much all year. Yeah, I mean that that's what you do now when you're a big fan. Since there are so many festivals, you just play the festival circuit and you're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and that will be great. Uh, Rage. My sister saw Rage play at Coachella. Uh, I want to say 
I want to say oh two oh three, and said and said they just they just torched the place and it was awesome. Yeah. So so which actually other than, kind of brings us. Yeah. Well, go ahead. Perfect. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just I was just segueing into it. Other than having a friend with the motto "anger is a gift," where does this fit in your montage? Uh, where this fits into my montage is Lollapalooza 1993, uh, which was yeah. unlike the first two years of Lollapalooza, uh, which were at Irvine Meadows in Southern California. Uh, Rage was the second on the bill for Lollapalooza 93 uh, at Santa Fe Dam, which is... If you know, if you're from SoCal, it's in Irwindale. It's hard to get to. It took us two hours to get in uh, because the traffic was so shitty. Ugh. It's actually where the Raiders were going to build one of their many failed stadiums. Oh, uh, as, yeah. So it, it is a state-owned park, uh, Santa Fe Dam, and they put Lollapalooza there because they went big that year. Uh, Allison Chains and Primus. Uh, were among the headliners. Tool played. Uh, I oh the the rap act that year was Arrested Development. Um, yeah, which seemed off. But second second on the bill that day was ninety two. They were gigantic. Who Arrested, Arrested Development? Development? I know, I know, but they just didn't. Really it's, it's not, no, 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 no. <laughs> it fits in with. But the previous years were Ice Cube, Ice T, Arrested Development, and then the next year was Tribe Called Quest. Okay, that tracks. <laughs> oh, and Beastie Boys in '94 as well. Yeah. So. All right, all right. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, uh, so Rage, uh, Rage was about to start. Rage was about to come out. It was about. I want to say three thirty in the afternoon, and I was with uh, not the group of friends that I usually allude to on on this podcast, but I was with my other group of friends. Um, they were a small group of four people. They were the people who I went to raves with. Uh, yes, I was a rave kid in the early nineties, but they were also uh, how do I say this? More Mexican than me. Uh, okay. lived, lived, lived a more Mexican lifestyle than I, I lived a very mixed lifestyle. Uh, and I lived a very, uh, you know, as I passed for white, uh, I live a very privileged lifestyle. And so we had a discussion about rage, uh, right before they came on and we were, we may have been helped by some, uh, by some, you know, Herbal uh, kinds of uh, conversation starters. You can and... say weed. <laughs> <laughs> it's legal now, most places. Yeah, but my mom might listen to this and she still doesn't Aaron. think I've ever done it. All right. I'm almost 50 and I, my mom doesn't think I've done weed. I'm sure she does. Uh, anyway, I actually was not a fan at first. Okay. Uh, I, and the reason was. And uh, this fits with not only 4th of July just happening, but also kind of the, I was thinking about this recently, um, the kind of the way that we talk as a country today. 
uh, and the way that I have grown as a, uh, about uh, the way that I have evolved around racial and ethnic, uh, issues over time. And I still remember this, I mean, clear as day, uh, that we were having this discussion about Della Roach's writing and also about Morello and how, you know, I mean, Harvard grad, poli sci, very much into his politics. Um, and I said at the time that I thought they were too aggressive with their politics, that mm. there, I was very much of the, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. And there is a way to make the change from within. And a lot, a lot of the things that I was, I was saying at the time, I now look back on and say, holy shit, was I playing my white privilege card right there. But right. these, but these really good friends of mine were like, you're not, you're not getting it. You're not hearing it. You're not, you know, it's like in white men can't jump. Uh, you know, you hear, you can listen to Jimmy, but you can't hear Jimmy. That was kind of their, their, okay. their mentality about it. And I, I, you know, at the time I agreed to disagree and then they closed the show, you know, went through the show and it was a great show and they closed the show with freedom. Right. And I got what my friends were talking about. I didn't necessarily agree with them at the time, but it has stuck with me. I okay. got what they were talking about because in Southern, you know, being in Southern California for that show, there was a very diverse uh, audience at that, at, at, at Palooza. Right. But what Rage was doing was using the white, using the kind of, skinhead white anger guy who wanted to be in a mosh pit and using that kind of anger against them in, in a mm. weird way. And when they played freedom, Zach kept talking about who they were talking about. He was being clear that they were talking about uh, the United farm workers, that they were being, that they were talking about uh, people who were being kept out of this country and people who were being held illegally as immigrants. He right. kept talking about children who were being, uh, children who are being left and starved in this country. And you know what? And the thing that got me about it was that he's playing freedom and screaming. And this riff is just ripping through everyone. And, you know, there's 35, 40,000 people just jumping up and down like yeah. crazy. And the, and it, to me, it very much mirrored what I've seen in the last couple of years of people who like, uh, of like people of a certain political ilk who are like, misusing born in the USA and thinking that it is like pro patriotic, you know, propaganda. Oh, right. about like, his rage fandom. Exactly. Or like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, or, you know, rage has been like the killing in the name has been like all about the, I mean, the kind of super militant anti-vax thing, you know, I've heard people using killing in the name, but the fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. I'm mm. like, do you even know who you're listening to when you talk about this? And, and so, yeah, it was, it was amazing to me. And I think that I've, I think that this is probably went out of my little musical montage of a life for probably years and stuck in the background until the last five or seven years where I've had this kind of awakening as a person 
as a nominal person of color who has to, who gets to be part of this other world and needs to be there to do the right thing by those who have come before me and do the right thing by those friends that I have, who I care so much about, you know? And, And so I listen to, I listen to rage now and I can honestly say I didn't get it at first. And it took me years before, you know, I could talk about the riffs and the music and all that, but it took me years to get what they were trying to tell me. And it started that day. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I told you where I first heard rage was, you know, in a football locker room and like, I think of the 60 kids that were in there, maybe like five to seven got the message at the time. And God, I, I could, couldn't even tell you who kept the message yeah. until now, you know? Yeah. I, you know, and I, in a weird way, you know, I, I say, I, I, I circle back to that interview I had with, uh, with Morella and, you know, by that point I got it, but I hadn't learned how to, you know, I hadn't gotten to the point where I was a journalist, so I couldn't really act on it, right. you know, other than to hold, you know, other than to question, other than to question authority of government. Um, but I had to, you know, we still had to play that kind of uh, nominal objectivity and, you know, talking to Morello was, was the confirmation to me that this wasn't just performative, that it really was who they are and who they think about, you know, and, and I understand why they broke up, you know, Zach, uh, you know, Morello, as much as he is an activist, is also a guy who likes to play music. And, right. you know, uh, there's only, you know, whereas yeah. Della Rocha is a zealot. And I get that. You yeah. know, I love that they have come back together a few times since then, yeah. understanding that this is their place together. Um, but I will, I will forever be a fan. And it started with understanding how wrong I was that first time. Mm. I don't think you mentioned it. Uh, what was the Chomsky outfit about? Uh, it was a, at the time. So this was 97. Uh, it was, Oh God, it was about, it was about journalism. Okay. Uh, it, it was about how, and I can talk about this now. Uh, I, I couldn't write about it. It was about how, it was about how corporate consolidation and journalism is, uh, is really eliminating the local voices and the voices of the unheard. I don't write. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can all about just this. listen to Chomsky. Damn it. I know. Ch- I, I fucking love Chomsky. I have grown to love him more over the years. I, I you know, and, and yeah, as a, as a journalist and a former, you know, as a former journalist who, Essentially, I left the business because of corporate consolidation in journalism. Yeah, I left. I left when McClatchy bought Knight Ritter because it was clear that that was going to go badly for both companies. Right, and and it did. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, we we spent the whole because he kept asking me questions. Morello kept asking me questions about journalism, and I'm like, I'm like. Dude, you went to Harvard. I went to Cal State San Bernardino. You know why? Why are you asking me about this stuff? He says, "No, I just Chomsky writes 
And then we talked about that. It was just, a, it was a lovely conversation. Yeah. I loved having it. It's one of those that I wish was done uh, uh, 10 years later because then I would have had the technology to record the call. Mm. Yeah. And, and keep it more easily. Right. Because uh, him, an interview I did with Robert Smith, uh, an interview I did, uh, oddly enough, with Garth Brooks, uh, all of them I would keep. Uh, I would love to. I would love to hear again, both to see how shitty I was as a reporter, <laughs> and uh, to uh, just hear what they, you know, what these guys had to tell me. So yeah, and and what holds up still. Yeah. Oh yeah, the Morello conversation. I think back to it regularly, and have for the last decade and a half that I've been out of the business. It's, you know, I mean, people, if you're listening to this, one of the beautiful things about podcasting is that everyone, everyone can have a voice as long as you have access, but that's the problem access. So you get, you get fewer vetted and confident and database, you know, and reality based uh, voices out there uh, run by fewer and fewer companies. That's bad. It is. Sorry. That was my journalism. No, 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 no. You know, if, if you can find uh, the collected works of Noam Chomsky, if you can find like 1996 copies of Adbusters, like, yes, that stuff was all hyper prescient and we are living the complete ignorance of their lessons today. Yep. Woo, America. So, Happy you know what Fourth it, of July. You know what it's about, Keith? Freedom. It's about it's about freedom. And you know what? Anger is a gift. Okay. It is. And with that, everyone, <laughs> we hope you recognize your gifts and that all your montages play to sunlight. <laughs> Thank you for listening to My Life as a Montage. I've been Keith Campbell, joined by Ian Shaker here. Our intro and interstitial music has been Funny Animals by Crowander. It was found on freemusicarchive.org and is being used under Creative Commons. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time.